Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Thank you all. Praise God. And those joining by live stream, praise God. We thank the Lord. We, I think we said, I don't know how many different nations are joining us now. Uh, South America, a lot of the South American countries that and we, you know, we sow into, we've been to... Brazil and Argentina, we have family members from here, there, and um, Colombia, because they're shut down and going through tremendous trials, some of them are tuning in to watch our live stream Spanish service at, at, 10, at 2 o'clock, and then we're just so grateful that God is able to do. I really do honor our, our AV sound guys who make it, and gals who make it all possible. It's good. Welcome to our visitors. I'm glad you're here this morning. Good to have you all with us. Um, I've got this message. I, I believe that um, when you hear the message and the, the revealing or the pulling back, it's going to make you uncomfortable. Okay? Um, but I believe that um, I wanted to deal with that whole thing of rejection and unworthiness first because once you're in and part of the kingdom and you're part of the family, you're in, right? Amen? And so... Uh, so I want to just precondition this word that way. So last few weeks, um, we've been looking at the need to, to really, what season are we in? And I spent two weeks looking at, why am I making so much noise? I, uh, is that okay? Okay. Um, anyway, we looked for the couple of weeks, we looked at what season were we in? And more importantly, when we understood the season, what should we do? And just as importantly, what should we not do in the season? And we looked at a lot of scriptures around that. What was the environment that we're in? Um, let me ask a question. How many of you believe that Jesus is coming back in his second coming? Okay. How many of you believe that it could be really soon? Okay. So then, if that's true, and biblically we, we know that's to be true, John 14, he said, just before he was leaving, he told the disciples, I'm going to go away. Don't be afraid. When everything's ready, I'll come back and get you, right? So he said he was going away to prepare a place. And so, if that's the case, if he's coming back, you believe he's coming back for the second coming, then what kind of living or what type of lifestyle should you be living in the wait? Let me ask it a, a little deeper way. Um, Jesus repeatedly told us to watch and pray. And that's really the title of the sermon today, and I'm going to unpack that in greater detail. Um, but let me ask this. Suppose, I know that we don't know the day or the hour. He says we'll know the season. He told us repeatedly, you'll, you can know the season. If you're awake, you're studying the Scriptures, you're in relationship with the Holy Spirit, you have a revelation, He speaks to you, right? My sheep hear my voice. And so, you will know the season if you're awake. Now, He says, don't, even in Acts chapter 1, remember when the disciples came to Him and He said, uh, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the Holy Spirit, the gift from the Father. I told you about that. When He comes, you're going to receive power, and then you'll be my witnesses. They asked him, well, when are you, are you going to establish your kingdom now? When is this, when are you going to set up? And he said, I don't even know. The angels don't even know. Only the Father knows the day or the hour. And he repeats that in, in uh, Luke 21 and Mark 13 and in Matthew 24. So, 
I'm not setting any dates, but let's say for a moment that you knew by revelation by the end of this year, before December 31st, the end of this year, Jesus is coming back. How would you live? Would you change your priorities? Would be some things you would stop doing that you would, and other things you might start doing? Would you be in prayer service more times? Would you be in interaction with the Lord more? I, I think so, right? If you know that that was true. And so, Jesus encourages us to live that way all the time. And the challenge is, and we're going to look at scriptures about those who were not able to do that or warnings against those who fell away from that. I know that the Father only knows the days, but we certainly can look at the season we're in. So let's, I want to start, I want to read this scripture. And remember when, when they wrote the book, they didn't have a lot of chapters, they divided it. But let's start in Matthew 24, about just towards the end. So open with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Interesting uh, guy, Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was really hated. In fact, remember when Jesus goes to Matthew, the tax collector says, come follow me, and he drops everything and he follows him. Now, I know this is probably not good to stereotype, but if you've ever been around um, people who do finances, um, maybe not a proper name for them, is bean counters. They're, they're kind of black and white, right? <laughs> and Matthew is clearly a black and white kind of a, it is this way, it's not this way. When you count the numbers, it is always this. And so Matthew, probably more than any of the other gospels, interesting, they ordered it with Matthew being the first gospel in the New Testament. But Matthew, more than anything, talks about judgment and the sorting out of the good and the bad at the end. You're going to look at, we're going to look at several parables. In fact, when you put them all together, it's like, whoa, is there a really interesting theme that comes out of this? Well, let's begin. I want to start um, in Matthew 24. Let's begin in verse 30. Matthew 24, and of course, the first part of that, Jesus is asked by the disciples just before he is about to go to the crucifixion, they ask him, Actually, they're pointing out all the beautifulness of the temple. And he's sitting there with them on the Mount of Olives. He says, you see all these stones? Not one is going to be left. And we know 70 years later, the Roman legions came, smashed it. That prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus tells of the signs of the end when they ask him about what will it be. I'm not going to go into that. We've covered that in the past. But I do want to pick up in verse 30. Matthew 24, verse 30. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation, which is the thought for thought, but I am going to also use the King James at various points, the, the word for word translation. Verse 30, then at last the sign of the Son of Man is coming and will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and power and great glory. In fact, that prophecy was spoken by Daniel in chapter 7 of the book of Daniel, several years, 600 plus years before that. And I will send out his angels, and, the, and he, with a mighty blast of the trumpet, they will gather his chosen ones. Notice that word. There's a chosen one, and the rest of the world is in great anguish from the farthest ends of heaven and earth. Now, learn a lesson from the fig tree. 
When the branches start to bud and the leaves begin to sprout, you will know that summer's near. In the same way, you will, when you see all these things, you can know His return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation, how long is that? Some argue 40, 70, you know, three score and 10, 120, I don't know. But he said, when you start to see these things, this generation shall not pass the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, verse 36, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying their banquets, they were partying, they were having their weddings right up to the time when Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is what it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two will be working, two men will be working in a field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. So you must keep watch. For you don't know the day your, the day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when the burglar was coming, he would have kept watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You must be ready at all times, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Now, a sensible servant, the one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing other servants, household servants, feeding them, if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there's going to be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of everything he owns. But what if the servant is evil and he thinks, you know, my master, he won't be back for a while. He begins beating the other servants, partying, getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. He will cut that servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Don't you remember that? In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew uses that terminology, weeping and gnashing of teeth, seven, six times in the book. Luke uses it one time. I want to keep going. Now, remember, this is a continuation. Jesus is sharing. He gets ready to tell them what it's going to happen, what it's going to look like. And then he goes on, he says, the kingdom, this is chapter 25, verse 1, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil in their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. And when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Let's stop there for a moment, interject. There's times when it's okay to sleep. <laughs> Many of the scriptures say, stay awake, don't go to sleep, but, you know, keep working, keep, right? And we're going to look at some of those. But there are times when it's okay even the wise ones were allowed to sleep. He's delayed right now, and it's midnight. We're going to find out it's midnight, right? They're asleep. 
at midnight, verse 6, at midnight they were roused by a shout. Look, the bridegroom, he's coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids that got up, they prepared their lamps. The five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for us. Go and shop and buy some, of your, some oil for yourselves. It's pretty hard to shop at midnight. Not everything's open, right? But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, they went with him to the marriage feast. And the door was locked. Later, the other five bridesmaids returned assuming they've gotten some oil, they stood outside, maybe they didn't, calling, Lord, Lord, open up the door for us. He called back, believe me, I don't know you. So, you too must keep watch, that's the third time, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Let me ask this question. How many of you have ever run out of gas in your car? Now, be honest. Come on now. Wow, awesome. You guys are, well, you know, I used to drive a lot of old cars, in fact, you know, and uh, the gas gauge, <laughs> it, it was unreliable. I mean, I mean, it was like, so you'd fill up, you'd kind of guesstimate, I think it's about time I keep it filled, right? But how many of you ever drove, drove your car, you know, driven your car when the, the light is on, get some gas? Anybody ever done that one? More hands went up on that one. Uh, um, that drives me happy. When my family does that sometimes, I get out there and it's like, man, I sure hope I get down to... The and when my family members tell me, oh, I got plenty of gas. Yeah, I will make... I'm one of these people, I don't know about you, maybe it's because of my emergency planning background. You know, I, I was an emergency planner for four reactors, and we were responsible, you know, for everything. That, when you had to anticipate what could go wrong, so, you, so it's like, I know I drive my family happy on some of these things, but, um, you know, be prepared, have several layers, you know. Anyway, um, I'll fill up often when it's, there's a half a tank. I'm just telling you, that's, because you never know, you might need to get up tonight and go somewhere in a hurry. Or what if all power is lost and you don't have any, and you got, or somebody's got an emergency and you got to get them to the hospital. So it's like, where are your keys? Where, it's just the way I'm wound, Let's right? see, who could that family member be? I'm not saying, because, <laughs> where'd you get that mic from? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be good. Uh, anyway, all right. So, in fact, it was just the other day I went out there, and it was really on subby. You know, the, with the new, the new cars, it's just, a, you got 20 miles left. <laughs> so, let me ask a question. Um, there, there's several reasons as to why you might not want to fill up. One is, I can make it to the next exit. I got lots of gas, right? Or, you just ignore the warnings. It's like... Or maybe you don't even know, these new cars, this new car I got is, it's like, there are so many gadgets and things, I got to read the manual. It's like, now what is that light? What is that doing? And how do I, they tell me how many miles per gallon I'm doing, how, how far you've gone, how many you've been experiencing. All. I'm like, wow, it's just too much information, right? So maybe you ignore the manual. 
or you just are, if I can use that word, ignorant to looking at how the, the alarm functions work. So I want to draw a parallel here. This is the B-I-B-L-E. You know what that stands for, right? It's the Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth book. Amen? This is the window. I love what Bishop shared. If you would, this is the window by which we look into and we have the kingdom revealed to us, right? But if we never study the basic instructions before leaving earth book or we don't know it or we want to ignore it or we just think we're okay, I got lots of time. I got lots of oil in my lamp. So let's look at several scriptures here. Let's turn first, let's look at Luke, and then we're going to spend the rest of the time probably in Matthew. Let's turn to Luke chapter 13. Now, this is where it's going to get, start to get a little uncomfortable. And I believe the, you know, the Lord, the Holy Spirit likes to comfort those who are not comfortable, but He also discomforts those who are comfortable. Amen? Because he wants us to reflect on Paul. Was it David that said, show me my heart. Let me know where I'm at. And so I believe these, these scriptures are intentionally put here. Intention, are you in the kingdom and are you safe? Or is there something I'm missing? And I want you to see, and Matthew is, he's that real straight down the line guy. But let's look at Luke chapter 13 and we'll begin in verse 22. The Gospel of Luke 13, 22. Jesus went through the towns and villages, and he was teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Remembering that was his mission. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. King James says it this way, strive, strive to enter the straight gate. Strive to get into the gate. Now, I thought we weren't supposed to strive and work, and there's some interesting scriptures that uh, work hard to enter is rest, he says in Hebrews 4. Man, it's just, but there's a striving. So Jesus says, in the answer to how many are going to be saved, he says, work hard to get through the narrow door to the kingdom. For many will try... To enter, wow, but they will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, here we are again, the door gets locked, the Noah's ark gets shut, the virgins come to knock, it's too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Whoa. He repeats this. Then you'll say, but we ate and we drank with you and you taught in our streets. See, there was a relationship. They thought they knew him. They ate with him. You don't eat with everybody. You don't drink with everybody. You don't go to the teachings. And what does he say? I will reply, I tell you, I don't know you and where you come from. I don't know you, and I don't know where you're coming from. Get away from me, you who do evil. 
there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For you will see Abraham, you'll see Isaac, you'll see Jacob, you will see the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, east, west, north, south. They will take up their places in the kingdom. And note this, some of them, the least now, will be the greatest then. And some who are great now will be very least then. I don't know about you, but that ought to be unsettling as we do a reflection and we let the, the instead of us reading the Scripture, the Scripture reads us. Now, let's go back, and I want you to see how many times Matthew takes this theme. And these are red letters. These are Jesus' words through Matthew. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we've looked at this verse before, and I tell you, I don't like this one that much. Like I have a choice, but it is the truth, and we ought to reflect on it. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 King, the New Living titles this subtitle as true disciples. So if they're true disciples, they're untrue disciples, right? Verse 21, Luke, uh, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven, they will enter on Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. King James, this, this one you got to wrestle with, King James says it this way in verse 23, and I will profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. That's a very interesting word, iniquity. I won't go there now. I've preached on it in the past. But if you go to Exodus 34, where the listing of the Ten Commandments and there's a verse in there, it's also in Exodus 20, and talks about the Ten Commandments, where it says, honor your mother and father, and it goes on, it says, the sins of the father shall visit to the third and fourth generation. That word there in the Greek, there's actually three words that we've interpreted in the Greek for sin. The first, if you like, there's a hierarchy of sin. Sin means miss the mark. You become aware. Maybe the first time... You do something, and, you, and it's like your conscience, which is the Holy Spirit, it's your background, it's what your parents or someone has told you, Grandma, don't, and it's like, oh, I feel so guilty and ashamed. The pattern of sin after that, it just gets easier and easier. What's happening is your conscience is becoming seared. The reprobate mind, which he warns about in Romans chapter 1. Sin is missing the mark, but the next level of that is transgression. It's where, it's called actually rebellion. It's where you become more and more rebellious. You now are aware of the sin. The law came and revealed sin, right? And now we're aware of that law-breaking, and we choose to be in rebellion, which 1 Samuel 15 says is the spirit of witchcraft. As you continue to rebel, you become hardened and hardened more, and you become more rebellious 
in transgression. You've now transgressed the law on purpose. But the third level of this is iniquity. And iniquity is what he's referring to here. He says, you workers of iniquity. And that means they're so reprobate. Look at Romans chapter 1 this week. Look at Romans chapter 1. It says, they have gone into this place of a reprobate mind. They no longer worship the Savior. They no longer want worship the Creator. They worship the creation. And they even do things in their own body that is unlawful. And they have... I won't go into it. They go into that place where it says, and now they're so reprobate, they know God, but they refuse. And worse yet, they even teach others and invent new ways to commit. That is the iniquitous. That is the twisted character who is so reprobate and gone. And what he's saying is, you might have done all these miracles, but you never did the will of my Father. In fact, whatever your motive was, you have a twisted and iniquitous character. Scary scripture. When, when they, because not everybody prophesies and not everybody does many miracles and not many pray for the sick. So there's this group and th that must be people that are professing kingdom. I called you my Lord. I, I never knew you. Man, if that doesn't just do something like, whoa, God. Those who do the will of my father. Well, I know this is getting deep, but let's, let's go on. Let's now keep on. Let's, let's look at Matthew 13. You see the, the tax collector who has now gone through this in his own mind. You can imagine him, right? He was a thief. He actually probably charged four times more than was required by the Romans when he collected the taxes. And he said in his, in his, um, he told Jesus, I'm going to restore four times anything I've stolen. So I can see this one who was in that place of deep sin, a thief, taking advantage. Of, and he's in this place where, God, I, I got to study these scriptures. And he, you can see that he captured those thoughts from Jesus as a disciple. You can see him sitting on the Mount of Olives and maybe asking Jesus, what about this? And Jesus shares these parables, these examples. So in Matthew 13, look at verse 24. These are all parables. You've heard this one probably if you've read uh, the parable of the wheat and the tares. In Matthew 13, 24, he says, there's a story Jesus tells again. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who plants good seeds in a field. The workers slept that night and the enemy came and he planted weeds among the wheat and they slipped, he slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The, farmer, the farmer's workers went out and they said to, they, in the field, where did all this come from? And, they, and he tell, they, they're told, the enemy has done this, the, the farmer said. Well, should we go and pull up the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You will uproot the wheat if you do that. Let them both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and I'll put the wheat in the barn. I'm told that wheat and tares, when they're first growing, you can't tell the difference. When you look across the church or the kingdom right now, there's a lot of folks that are, we all look the same. But there's wheat and tares, right, that are in, in the process here. And, and so... Let's look at another one. Turn with me to Matthew 13, 47. 
I want you to again see there's a sorting process. Matthew's really clear about sorting that which is wicked and that which is not. Verse 47, Matthew 13, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water, caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it in on the shore, sat down and sorted the good fish into crates and threw the bad ones away. That's the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand all these things? Yes, they said, we do. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as the old. I like that. New gems of truth. Lord, bring those revelations to us. All right, keep going. Matthew 22, turn to the right. Go to Matthew 22. You're starting to see a theme here, right? In Matthew 22, beginning in verse 1, the parable of the great feast. Jesus told them other parables, and he said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king. He prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bull and the fatted cattle have been killed. Everything's ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests had been invited, who had been invited, they ignored them. They went on their way. One to his farm, another one to his business. And others seized the messengers, insulted them, even, and then killed them. The king was furious. He sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests are invited. I've invited, and they're not worthy to, become, so, to come of my honor. So now go out into the streets, the corners, invite anyone that you see. So the servants brought everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with all the guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothing for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? The man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and his feet and throw him into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Whew. Now we know the wedding garments, remember Revelation 19? The bride, has. this is the great feast, when they're invited to the wedding feast, the, the uh, bridegroom is having the feast the Father's prepared. He says, in Revelation 19, it says, the bride has made herself ready, and the good deeds of, are the clean garments that she wears. So in the performing of the clean garment work, the good deeds being done by the bride is the preparation. And obviously, this banquet table they came in, this guy had no clean garments not prepared for the wedding. And he's thrown out. 
I know, this is kind of hard. Matthew 24, turn to the right. We've, we've already looked at this one. Keep watch. We read that. In Matthew 25, the, the wise and the foolish bridesmaids. Let me emphasize something here for a moment. How much oil do you have? I know this is not the lamp that the bridesmaids would have had. This is kind of the little house on the prairie lamp. In fact, I, you can go look at, um, if you look up lamps in Jesus' time, you'll find actually a piece of pottery, like a little bowl, with an opening at the top and a spout, and there's a wick that comes out, and what they would do is they would take olive oil or some form of oil, fat, and they would put it inside the pottery piece, and they would light the wick. And so, in the analogy of the, of the bridesmaids, it says, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. So, they trim their lamps. The wise ones, now, I don't know about you, but you don't usually carry around. This, you can burn this for a bunch of hours, right? But when you start, if he's delayed and this gets low, you're going to need extra. So, let's, let's think about this for a minute. As I was meditating on, on that the five foolish and the five wise. We know from Peter's discussion, in, in, uh, he says, there are the mockers of this day, and actually the day, even in his days. He says, where is he? How come he's delayed? Why isn't he coming? You said it's been thousands of years. Why isn't he here yet? Peter answers that, and he says, every day there's a delay, more people come into the family. He's such a gracious God. Guess what? If he had come 100 years ago, where would you and I be? Hello? I'm glad he delayed right? And he says, we know from Romans 11, it says, when the exact number of Gentiles has come in, all of Israel will be saved, right? And so, it, we're grateful. I don't know how many of your family members, the ones that you love, you're waiting, you're interceding, you're standing. It's like, so, but the mockers say, yeah, great. You, you've believed all this all your years, right? Well, he's delayed, and it's now midnight, and it's, people get tired, we know that the, we were talking about this this week at intercessory prayer, the, or seventy, the Laodicean church. They thought they were on fire, but he said, "No, you've you've walked away, or you lost your first love. You think you see, you don't see. You think you're dressed, you're not dressed. I suggest that you buy salve for your eyes, that you might be able to see spiritually. And I suggest that you buy wedding clothes that are from me." See, there's a member, there are members of the church of the kingdom of God right now. They think they're okay. The gas gauge on says, I got time. I have prayed with people, met them out in the marketplace, witnessed to them. When they were on their deathbed, they've called me to the hospital crying. I said, I wasted so much of my time and all the relational things and all the brokenness. And this week, the Holy Spirit busted me, be transparent. I was watching some mindless show and just kind of like, I need a... I turned this thing on. It was an hour. It was such a waste. And I said, man, that was a waste. And the Holy Spirit interrupted me. He goes, Tom, you can't get your minutes back. You can't get your minutes back. And there's a scripture that says, teach us to number our days these mindless things, these things we do that have no value. Now, 
it's not, I know we're supposed to strive to enter in, but there are times when it's okay. In fact, I got a ton of scripture here to try to balance this, whether we get to it today or not, maybe next week, where Jesus pulled away and he needed privacy and he needed quiet time. It's okay, but it's not always okay. And so we see here this place where the virgins, the bridesmaids, remember they, at this point, they were invited to be part of the wedding processional. But there's a whole lot of ways this could have gone. Why did they have to be suggested they had to go out and buy oil? And we find out that the five wise ones, they could have said, well, we've got five ones that have lamps. Why don't you come with me, each one of you, and we'll share my light. You can't share your light. Even though he tells you to share, somebody says, go with me a mile, go to, ask for your coat, give him your cloak also. In the last days when the door is shut, you cannot find oil at that time. If you have failed in your preparation, there will be no season for you to get in. The door will be locked. You cannot buy the oil at that time. You will be locked out. When you try to prepare, it will be too late. That's why I said it's coming. There's a time coming when that preparation of what you should have been doing all along, when he told you over and over, he told us, wake up, be awake, be prepared. Don't let it catch you unaware. It's going to come. It's like a trap. It's going to snare. It's at that point, it's too late. So what does that do? That ought to get us to pay attention. Let's look at the final judgment. We'll look at this last scripture here. It's in chapter 25. He deals with the three servants and their talents, and then he does the separation of the sheep and goats. Do you see the theme throughout Matthew? What he's telling you is, be ready. Don't think you're okay. Don't be into this place of justifying sin in Matthew 25, he says, the parable of the three servants, I'll just paraphrase, they had talents, and he gave them talents, a, a number of talents, according to their own abilities, right? Everybody has different skill sets, right? So what did you do with what you were given? And we know that he celebrates the ones who advanced the spiritual kingdom, but the one who just buried his talent, we see that in verse 29, those who do well what they have and give will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I believe this is addressing the church. These are servants of the king. I don't believe these are the pagans and the ones that are lost. I think much of what is being addressed by Matthew are those who are part of what they think they are in the kingdom. That's why it's so unnerving. In the final separation, here we go again, in the final days of the last, it says, in the final judgment, verse 31, Matthew 25, 31, the Son of Man comes 
in his glory. So here we go again with this time with the angels, and they will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as shepherds separate the sheep and the goats. They will place the sheep at the right hand and the goats at the left. Now, this is probably not politically correct, but I'm just going to share it. Um, I looked up left and right. It just jumped out of me. You know, we hear about the progressive left. Starts out in the French Revolution. They were the very, very progressive, let's tear down everything that exists, they, you know, all of the stuff that was, we, we don't need that. We don't need history, we, tear it down. And the conservative right stays with much of the establishment. And you can look at the whole socialist and capital, all that stuff that's in there. But I just thought it was interesting. The goats go on the left. Hey, I know I'm stepping over things here, but I just, I just thought that was interesting. I, I never made the connection before, you know. Oh, yeah, I better move on. Okay, so verse 34, the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, you visited me. Interesting response from the righteous ones. They said, their reply is, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry, feed you, thirsty? He says, the king will say, I tell you the truth. What you did to the least of these, my brothers, and my sisters, you did it to me. Then he turns to the ones on the left, verse 41, away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was sick in prison, you didn't visit me. Well, then they will probably, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry, thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or prison? And I tell you the truth. When you refuse to do the least of these for my brothers and sisters, you refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So, if you look at the summary in your outline... I think we'll pick this up next week. Jesus found his disciples asleep. He tells them in Matthew 26, let me introduce this, and then I think we'll finish next week. Turn with me just a couple pages, Matthew 26, so flip a page. In Matthew 26, in verse 41, you're probably familiar with this, but I want to I pull it down and unpack a little more of it because I want to really encourage us to watch and pray. I really want to invite you to come. Come to any of our meetings. Tonight from 5 to 7, it's very interactive. We're not live streaming, so you can get as wild as you want, right? You can quietly, you can dance, you can sing. It's a time, if you have a song on your heart, a dance on, just, just come. We're just asking the Holy Spirit to move. Most of it is... God, we want to be together. We know if two or three would come in your name, you would be here with us. We want to intercede for our, for our state and our nation. 
against this virus and against the election. What's coming? Lord, let your will be done. We got to pray. So watch and pray. And I want to unpack how important that is. But I want you to see what happened with Jesus. In verse 36 of Matthew 26, Jesus has just finished the Last Supper with them. He has told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He's told the disciples there's a betrayer among us who's going to betray me. And then they walk. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you walk from the upper room. It's a little journey down into the, mount, into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not a far walk. It's a beautiful garden. I imagine it was beautiful there. Jesus used to love to hang out there, actually sleep there. And there are some trees, olive trees there that are thousands of years back to the day of Jesus. So the trees he probably prayed under are right there. It's amazing how they still live, you know. When the, when the, when the creator is there, it lives, right? So anyway, he walks down to the, to the olive grove in Gethsemane, verse 36, and he sits here and he tends and he says to them, sit here while I go and I pray. He takes the three closest, Peter, James, and John, the same three that were the inner ones that went to the Mount of Transfiguration that saw Moses and Elijah, right? The father shows up, this is my son. So they, they, had, they saw, they all witnessed actually in their writings of that eyewitness account of when the father came. Peter does it, James does it. We see that the... See, he takes the three that ought to be the closest that he can trust. They were the ones that he took Peter, James, and John. He said he had become anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Now, I don't know how you put language to that, but he's in a, Jesus is in a hard, hard place, like many people right now. And he says to the three, stay here and keep watch with me. Keep watch with me. I need you to be on guard with me now. He went a little further. He bowed his face to the ground saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He then returns to the disciples. He finds them asleep. He says to Peter, because briefly before that, he said, Satan has asked to sift you, Peter, and I'm praying on your behalf. Peter still falls asleep. He says to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing and the body's weak. Then Jesus left them a second time, prayed, My Father, if this cup can be taken away, unless I drink it, your will be done. He returned to them again, and he found them sleeping. For they couldn't keep their eyes open. So we went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. He comes back to his disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look. The time has come. The Son of Man is prepared into the hands, is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. He, it's interesting, he says, okay, you're tired, sleep. No, get up, the betrayer's here. It's like, it's almost like you missed your opportunity to pray with me. 
You missed the opportunity. I called you in, the closest ones that I'm in relationship with, and I need you because my heart is broken in anguish right now. I, I asked just one hour, Peter. Don't you know that if you don't pray and you don't watch, you will not be able to overcome the temptation of what's coming? Hello? Hello? There's something about watching and praying that does something to the soul and the natural realm that shifts our ability to stand against temptation. Jesus knew it. We got to know it because there's a time right now, there are many that are out there missing it. They're lost in all this stuff, consumed with everything that really, just like in the day of Noah. And he says, you got to be different. I'm calling you into a place. If you'll seek and watch with me, you'll be okay. You'll be fine. If you watch and pray, you won't miss it. You won't be cut out at the banquet. You'll have the right clothes on when he invites you to that place of the presence. Now, I realize this is, you know, this is an uncomfortable message, but I believe if we really will take it to heart, we'll take some time aside and say, God, because all of us can justify, we can all think we're okay. I got plenty of gas in my tank. It's not going to run out. Next week, we're going to look into what Jesus said about praying and fasting. And one, I want to give grace where you'll see if you'll read the outline scriptures before next week, Jesus often pulled away quietly. In fact, he, he often would say after some of the mission stuff and the a number of people that were coming, and he tried, he didn't, don't tell them where we're staying. Don't even say the house we're in. Well, they tracked him down, right? They saw where he went. Let's get in the boat. Let's go out and pray. And they watched him. They followed him. And his compassion for their needs, he sacrificed. And I believe that's what the Lord is saying. It's okay. There's times when it's okay to sleep, but it's not okay all the time. And it's, you're going to have to be inconvenienced in these days. You're going to have to be inconvenienced in these days to watch and pray. You may be so tired. Working all week, got a long week coming. I can't go Sunday night. What's wrong with that pastor? Hey, I'm just being honest. We did harp and bowl for six years, I think it was, on Sunday evenings. And it was hard. I mean, like, whoa. I'm, okay. Strive to enter in. You ask the Holy Spirit, when, when do I take a rest and when do I need to watch and pray? And because he said if two or three would gather in my name, he'd be here. So let's stand I'm getting all trembly because I feel like the Lord wants me to share an experience um, that I had this week with him, which goes along with what you're saying. And so I was in his presence, and he was, like, so excited. He came up, and he hugged me, put me up in the air, twirled me around, and my dress turned into fire, and it was like a fire dress. But he was, like, it was different than he's always like happy to see me but it was different it was a an increased excitement there was like just a passion that was burning like he was like so excited and I felt like what he was showing me is he's as excited as a 
bridegroom in the natural because he knows he's going to see his bride soon. Mm. And he's like, he can't wait to see his bride, but he wants a bride that's just going to be so passionate for him. And I just felt like the Lord wanted me to share that because he, he loves you so much. And I would be willing to pray with anybody that wants prayer. Yeah. You know, maybe in keeping with that same theme, if the bride has made herself ready by the garments and the good deeds, what if the, what if the bride, when the groom is coming down, she's walking down the aisle and the groom is there and the best man, the father, right? And her dress is all torn and it's all muddy. And her hair's a mess. She didn't make any preparation. She didn't consider it a pretty day, a beautiful day. That's the, the same picture we get is, Lord, help us not to be consumed by all the stuff. It's okay to have a fervor for life. We should occupy till he comes. He told that to the exiles in Daniel. Set your roots, be ready, make it profitable. So we're not to just check out, but we also need to live in a state of readiness. Ready at any moment. I got my ticket. I'm going to heaven with you, God. I want my garments ready. So I'm going to invite the ministry team, if you'll come. You know who you are. We've and, uh, put on a mask so we can really pray quiet and close if we have to. But if you're here this morning and you just need someone to agree with you, it said if two or three would agree, maybe there's something that you need to confess. This ministry team is trustworthy. They will not share your junk because all of us are in need. There's nobody holier than thou in this house. And so, come, if you need to let something go and get agreement, or maybe there's something that's just been difficult for you to get past and you want an agreement on it, if two or three would agree. But maybe you're in intercession. Your heart is heavy because you see the day drawing near. Maybe it's someone that's lost, someone you've been interceding for. So, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you that your word, it's powerful. It, it's, there's a reason, those were all red letter from Jesus himself to the people to make themselves ready. We're going to be without excuse. He's going to tell us clearly, I said this, I said this, I said this. And it's not going to be okay that we ignored the warning sign. We didn't know the manual. Or we thought we were okay and we had enough gas. It's not going to work. The door will get locked. So, Lord, I pray right now, we thank you for your grace that you came even when we were such lost sinners. You came. And I'm so glad you delayed so this generation could have an opportunity. Thank you that you delayed long enough for us to come. Now, Lord, help us to be able to pass that torch to those around us. Fill our lamps, God. Show us how to get this oil in preparation, that we won't be foolish. We thank you so much, Lord. Let your face now shine upon all those. Those listening by live stream, may the grace of God keep you from falling. 